So, uh, welcome, uh, welcome, Trent, Dom, Shaquille. I think uh, near pals on his way. Um, we've uh, resumed our chats with uh, Cricket Coach Three Six Five, having had a couple of weeks off uh, whilst uh, recreational cricket in the UK returned. Um, and uh, Trent and I have been trying to hook up um, a date uh, for a, a couple of months, and um, we're very grateful that you've made the time today, especially. In light of the news that you um, you've got to make a call to uh, to see whether you're coming over to the UK with the Cricket Australia team, so um, so thanks, Trent. Um, and thanks, uh, thanks, I know Tom, you said it, no, it's no, it's no holds barred. You said that uh, any questions are okay. So you, I, I should have probably given you a bit of a warning as to who the attendees were before you said <laughs> that. Um, but um, I thought to begin with, if you can kind of take us back, with, you just kind of regaled us with a, a few tales um, offline there about um, playing club cricket in Yorkshire. But maybe you could take us back to, you know, your sort of earliest memory of um, getting, you know, getting a cricket bat in your hand or playing cricket for the first time and, and who, who and, and what got you involved. Um, World Series cricket. Uh, and funny enough, at the moment in Australia, there's, we have a cricket channel on our version of Sky Sports and... Um, World Series cricket is prominent on that. A lot of lot of um, repeats there. But yeah, so so growing up as a as a six seven year old eight year old, World Series cricket became prominent. Um, Dennis Lilly, Greg Chappell, Viv Richards, Michael Holding, um, Dennis Lilly, all those all those guys were on. All of a sudden, were on our TV, and so you had a choice not just from the Australian players, but you had a choice on international players. And my father took me to a, a game at the SCG. Uh, it was Australia, England. It was post Kerry Packer, but when, when the teams got back together, uh, Eng England were in white clothing and maybe blue pads and Australia were in white clothing with yellow strips. And I sat on the hill with my dad um, with, you know, uh, I think it was KBB cans, which are proper steel cans flying everywhere. And here's me as a seven or eight-year-old watching a game of cricket with my heroes, which were, you know, which were Chapel and Lily, uh, Rod Marsh, etc., on the hill, and so, you know, I, I got into cricket that way after being a massive rugby league fan, um, and so, so in, in, in our our summers was cricket or tennis, and our winters was was rugby league, and and my, my interest was peaked there, and and we 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 were part of that golden golden generation, which was was governed by Kerry Packer's World Series cricket. That grew and, and other sports grew. And by the time I sort of reached my teenage years, I was playing at, at a pretty high level of club cricket. Um, but I had that, we had, we had choices in Australia, as you do in the UK, of, of what sport you want to play. Um, I had a lucky chance of going over to the UK when I was 18 in 1990 and playing cricket in Brentwood for, es uh, in, in, for Essex, well, for Brentwood in the Essex League. Um, I was pretty crap at that stage, but what was great about it was, was cricket in England is something else. It was, you know, 50 over cricket or 60 over cricket or 120 over cricket where you, there was declarations. There was an adventure on the Saturdays, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, and even though I, had a, I didn't have a great year personally, I had a great year socially um, from, from preparing to play and then, then post-play in, uh, in a bar situation, uh, you know, and, and then following, following England. And that year, I think it was 1990, the World Cup of, of, of soccer obviously was in Italy and one of England's best results outside of 66. 
So there was a whole lot of camaraderie that was formed around a cricket field that was followed on from my, my experience in, in, in Australia. Um, and that just, you know, being part of the community and being part of something that was such a brilliant experience, um, whether it was cricket or whether it was, was soccer or whether it was, was football, whatever it was, was really exciting. And uh, it was that stage during that 1990 series uh, uh, season in England that I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a professional person in cricket. Right. What, Sadly what, for me. What, what was that thing that uh, made you realise that was the thing you wanted to do then? I think there was a pull. That there's, there's something, there's something um, that's really community driven about cricket. Um, it, it's in other sports. It's, it's in all sports and it's, it's across other, other uh, skill sets in, in life. But I think cricket's really difficult and there's a, there's a connection with every person who plays it around how difficult it is and how much fun it is to, to, to suffer together. And we, we don't have to talk about that in cricket, but cricket, cricket is a sufferance. Um, it's very, it's, it's very rare over a, you know, let's say it's called a 14 game season of where that, you know, that, that sufferance, you, you get something that you go, wow, this is good. But we, we all in our head have an optimum amount of times where cricket's good to us that we can put up with our sufferance. Um, so if you can, if you can be with people who, uh, your peers who are like-minded and can, who can also deal with that sufferance in a similar way, it's really fun. So the bad times you can make light of, the good times you celebrate, and every, everything in between you celebrate. So one of my, my first cricket captains as a 15-year-old has said, mate, listen, if you get, drunk, if you get naught, you, you, you drink. If you get 15, you drink. If you get 100, you drink. You take five for <laughs> you drink. If you get none for 49, 11, which is my first experience as a as a, as a premier cricketer, as a 14-year-old, you drink. And, and it wasn't so much about the alcohol, but it was about that whether you succeed or whether you fail or whether you're somewhere in between, someone's got your back. And, and I do believe somewhere along the line that, that went missing in the 90s when professional cricket across all sports, AFL, rugby, soccer and, and football and, and you name it, people started to want it, you know, they wanted to pay out for what they did. But I, I grew up as in an era where, um, yeah, camaraderie was really important and you, you celebrated your wins, losses and everything in between and made, it made Saturdays and Sundays really, really worthwhile. And especially for an overseas semi-professional playing in the UK, there's no better cricketing experience. How, how did you get that um, opportunity to come to Brentwood? Was that through somebody who knew somebody or was it just a... Yeah, a yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a guy called Justin Kenny, his brother Gavin, who played... Uh, so Justin played some first-class cricket for New South Wales who'd played at Brentwood. And I, I stayed with a guy called Charles Riley who flew Spitfires during the Second World War. And mm. I, I stayed with him, was, which was supposed to be for a week and stayed with him for the whole time. Um, the, and the club uh, captain at the time was a guy called Kevin Crossley, who was a, a fantastic left, left arm spinner who became a lifelong friend because he, he, he'd look after me. Him and his wife would look after me. And then three years later, after a university degree, I came back and stayed with them both again. Um, and it was just that, once again, that, you know, that build up to a Saturday's fixture, the club, the club you know, what the club needed for the, from one th through to fours to survive was awesome. So Saturday night was a, was it, was it a, a tour, a, a storytelling 
um, stage for everybody from one through through fourth grade, and that was important. Mm -hmm. And Sundays was you know we're still friendly orientated, and I think that's died out in the modern day cricketing landscape, which is a real real shame, because it, you know, on a Sunday being able to sit in a bar post match, uh, you know, not not really caring what the result was, but but chatting around you know how the game unfolded was really important. Yeah, 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 and and from a so from a playing point of view, clearly you, you were um, you were enjoying things from a, a young age, and and then you got that experience internationally, still as a teenager. At what point did you yep. think, right, okay, um, you know, my my calling or my um, sort of vocation is going to be coaching as opposed to um, anything else in the game? So, so when I came back from Brentwood, nineteen ninety, I I needed to do something. My parents were like, you, you know, you can't sit around waiting to go back to the UK. I started a sports science degree and did three years, three years of sports science, uh, majoring in sports coaching. But at that stage, it was, it was a fill-in. It was nothing that I thought was ever going to be, become relevant. Um, and then I went back to the UK in 1994, I think, back to Brentwood. Uh, and that stage, I'd, I'd gone from going over there as a, you know, as a, as a romantic feeling about cricket to, to going over there with a then-girlfriend and, and I, I did really well that year, a couple of hundreds, a couple of fifties, and and I was a better player, but I had a different view of the sport. Um, and then I realised how much I liked being there and, and knowing that to, to come back to the UK, I had to be a coach just through visa reasons. And, right. and I, went back to the, I went back to the UK in 95 and played, in the, uh, played for Broadacre in the Huddersfield League. And... So then I was very much still a player and dominated that year, scored a thousand runs, played with the likes of Danny War and Shane Deeds, a few others, you know, James Pavan, who's prominent in the New Zealand coaching setup. Um, but I, I realised I, I, what I, I liked about that was helping younger players or contemporary players improve their, their games. And, and I, I really wasn't that, that caught up in what I'd, I had done as a player, but more caught up in what I, I was doing as a coach. Um, so, so that was that was very much uh, organic in that, you know, I, I could help. I felt like I could help players, um, and then then I sort of looked back on that. And this guy called Graham Rummins, who played um, first class cricket for New South Wales and Victoria, and we played a game uh, in Sydney in that that early to mid nineties, where prior to lunch uh, in in a two day game, I'd I'd spoken to him about his technique about around cutting the ball. We had a chat at lunchtime, and then after lunch he came out and, and cut a couple of balls for six. Um, and my, my, my teammates were really pissed off at me for, for divulging that information. But I, I, I remember getting a kick out of that and that helping others succeed at their, you know, their skill was really good fun. Um, and, and so I felt maybe, maybe there was an opportunity to progress that, but I, I never knew how I could do that uh, from where I am now. So what, what was your first step then from that? moment where you thought uh, well actually what I what I enjoy more more so is helping others uh, develop and others succeed where, where did you go from there? Strangely enough it was stop playing so in 1997 at, at the age of 26 um, uh, having played first grade for maybe f five or six years and being pretty average first grader but a, a very a very um, successful semi-pro in the UK I stopped playing I rang up a, a guy called Dean War, who was the younger brother of Stephen and Mark and said I was unavailable for the first grade trial. And he said to me that, what, what do you mean? You're not playing this season. And, and when he was saying that, it, I, I, I went, actually, no, you're right. Yeah, I'm, 
I don't want to play at all this year. So I had three seasons away from cricket, which was really important to work out what, what I liked, what I didn't like. And, um, and so when I came back to it through Dean's younger brother, obviously, you know, Stephen and Mark, two famous people, but their younger brother's guy called Danny War, who I played a lot with Bankstown, who's, you know, who's my best friend at the time. And he was, he went to a new club called Sydney University. And we, I, I had a guy there called Alan Campbell, who was a coach at Bankstown, who was now at Sydney University. And he, he got me in to do some stuff with his team. And I, I enjoyed it. And I found it, I, re, I was really looking forward to training and games. And uh, Carrick Fergus Creek Club in Northern Ireland had a position for you work. Fergus. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie oh, Fergus. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where AB played and a few others. And so I, I, there was a position open there as a coach. Um, and I, I went for it at the time, you know, being 30 years of age and having nothing better to do. Got the, got the position and, and uh, had to play cricket as well, which I, I didn't expect to do. But it was, it was an awesome chance to follow on from Sydney University to, to, to be a part-time coach to a full-time coach. Finished with, finished with Carrick Fergus for a year and then came back and coached Sydney University full-time for three years and found that that was my calling. That I really enjoyed helping all, all types of players get better. Um, and what, what, did you, um, what did you sort of uh, find out about yourself in those first few years um, coaching? What, what were the things you look back on and think, oh, they were the, they were the real important lessons I, I was very lucky. So my, my first year as a, if you like, as a full-time coach in Sydney was at Sydney University in 2002. And I was coaching the, 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 the Premier League side there and they hadn't won a competition in 89 years. And my overseas player was a guy called Kevin Peterson, who you guys might know or not know. He went on to play you know, maybe 100 tests for England. But so <laughs> him, him as a 22-year-old... Love the delivery um, yeah. of uh, I love the delivery <laughs> of uh, yeah keeping deadpan there. So, so, so Kevin, yeah, Kevin and I are very close. Um, Twenty years later, we're still close. He he was excellent, but so we we grew together over a uh, six month period, and he's he scored eight hundred runs at eighty and dominated. We made the finals. He didn't play the finals, but we won the competition. But what but what um what Kevin taught me was what elite players may or may not need. Um, and, and Kevin didn't know that at the time, and I didn't know that at the time. But what, what I was drawn to, there's another guy called Ed Cowan who played for Australia. Yeah. Uh, a guy called you know, Greg Matthews, who was, my, who was a pro yeah. there as well, who played for Australia. Stuart McGill. So I, I inherited a mixed mash of students, elite players, former test players, and, and fast-tracked my learning on how to coach different individuals. Um, but the, the, the Peterson relationship, relationship was really important because it, um, you know, we, we, we probably started out as friends, but then I, I became his coach in those situations through his guidance rather than my guidance. And that's important for, you know, for your coaches who follow this is that it's imperative that you don't try and put your rubber stamp on people, that you actually figure out what they want. Um, and what, what Kevin was bringing at, and, and you know, uh, he's still still very close now is that, is that, you know, I, I found out what Kevin needed, what he needed to succeed. And I adapted my, my coaching and my learnings to make sure I could give him what he, what he needed. So it was, it was, it was a really good time because it was, I didn't realize that this could become a professional career, 
um, you know, and it, it just grew from there, really. And so, I mean, I mean, without going into um, you know confidential stuff or anything too detailed regarding KP, um, how, how did that come about? Do you think uh, you, you, you mentioned that you didn't didn't think KP realised it at the time, and you didn't realise it at the time? But you know, how did that kind of evolve from being friends to then being a coach and understanding that adapting your style to um, fit in with what he wanted was the thing that was going to be the, you know, the real USP. I, I, I always, as a player myself, I, I was, I was hand-eye coordinated. I was, I was talented. Um, but I always felt like I was trying to live up to something that wasn't possible. Um, I, I, I never knew that at the time. I, I was really good according to my dad at picking out really good sportsmen in all codes. So whether it was tennis players, golfers, rugby league players, well, cricketers, they, they were my main sports. I, I was able to, to, to see them and, and identify them as good. Um, I, I came across KP and just saw this you know, six foot four or five Adonis who could do things that I'd never seen before and things that were never taught to me. And I, I wasn't frightened by that. I was, I was piqued or my you know, interest was piqued by that. Mm. So, so I, was, I was inquisitive. And, and as a coach, I think, being inquisitive is, is, is really important. You have to be able to listen, be inquisitive. And when you don't have an answer on something, you, you, you try and figure it out and seek, seek what, you know, what could work. And, and I was with a lot of coaches growing up who, who would tell me what is what, and this is what you need to succeed. And, and I, look, I, I never had the mental capacity to make it as an international or first-class cricketer, but I, I, I also had, had the ability to call bullshit and, um, you know, I, I look at my own career and think maybe it would have been a lot better if I'd been able to say no more. And I had my success in the UK where there was no coaches. You know, I was a pro and I was expected to succeed and I just, just went about my business. Um, but, yeah, so, so someone like Kevin was the first one who just wanted me to act as a mirror to what he wanted rather than me trying to stress on what he wanted. So that, that, that's important. And, you don't have to have the answers right now on, on a talented player. Talented players will come across every coach's desk or, you know, net session. And a lot of us want to want to latch onto that now and say, okay, right. Here's a Kevin Peterson as a 22 year old. How do I help him? And, and most of the time, the best way to help him is just to leave him alone until you figure out what, what makes them work. And, and, that, and, and so from Kevin's point of view and my point of view, what worked out for us is I left Kevin alone from a technical or a prep stage and I looked after him from a social side um, and a, you know, and a growing side as a 22 year old. And, you know, and that, that enabled me to help him more as a, probably as a 30 year old than I could have helped him as a 22 year old. Yeah. I, I, um, I know you've, um, you've seen uh, the, the coaching cards that, uh, that I've designed. I know that you were very kind in your, um, no, they're, they're very good because, it, you know, yeah, coaches, coaches need to grow. I think, I think to interrupt you, what, what happens is that coaches get judged on how they react to a situation as young coaches. But players as an 18-year-old will, will, will give them leeway. And let's look at Ollie Pope now, right? You know, he's a couple of 40s, couple of 60s. Wow, look how good is he looking. We'll give him leeway for, for bad decision-making. Coaches, coaches can't afford that. When, when, we, when we make bad decisions as young coaches, it gets held against us. And, 
and players sometimes don't give us the credit to, to evolve. So your, your, um, your cards are really good to help coaches maybe evolve and grow, grow the, the point of difference they want to make, whether it's a strategy coach, decision-making, or whether it's a technical coach. So, yeah, so once again, to apologise to cut you off, those yep. cards are important. They're important because it gives coaches a chance to grow and educate themselves. Um, yeah, because you know, at, at nearly 50 years of age, I've been doing this for 20 years as a professional, and I'm, so, I'm a far better coach now than I was at 30. But maybe if I had, you know, I had some more direction, more mentors, uh, more understanding as a 30-year-old, I'd fast-track that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I think um, if you go go forward then from uh, from that first initial experience uh, from Carrick Fergus and then going back to Sydney yep. University. Um, so, so just give us a summary of what happened then between then and now, um, and then I think we'd be interested in hearing your kind of insights about you know what what your views on on coaching players now is. So, so from Carrick Fergus. Uh, which I loved and I'm still in touch with the people there. They were fantastic. I did, I did three years at Sydney University. There was an opportunity to go to Scotland to work at the Grange Cricket Club who had mm-hmm. a pro called Damien uh, Wright, who's a very close mate of mine who we worked, I worked with at New Zealand. But he, he, was a head co- he was a head coach, opening bowler, opening batsman. They wanted someone to coach the club rather than be the, the, the pro. Uh, so it was a wonderful opportunity to go over and bat anywhere between one and eight, depending on the situation, help all grades between one and four. And I spent three years with them. And that was awesome because I, I would go from, from working with um, legal, legal people to uh, BBC producers to mathematicians, all, all age groups. And that, that was giving me an understanding of how to bring culture to a club. And my job was to bring, to, to bring the Grange Creek Club as one from, yeah, from one through to four grades, uh, youth, youth cricket as well, Saturday, Sunday, training Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And, and that followed on from a, a, a premier club in Sydney, which was, which was a little bit more hard edge. But the, the, the Grange taught me uh, empathy for players, um, also taught me communication techniques that I probably hadn't thought of. And that, that was awesome. So... Yeah, so my the hardest the hardest job as a coach is, is a club cricket coach because of mm. the facilities you have to deal with, the different standards of players, the you know, conditions, and, and Grange offered me that or afforded me that opportunity over a three year period, which is fantastic. Sadly, I left them only because I had a job with Surrey Cricket Club um, through Steve Rickson in two thousand five as an analyst, and that that sort of kick started me from the semi professional coach to a head coach. Um, and you know that that year with Surrey was fantastic. I was very close to Grant Thorpe and James Ormond, um, you know Mark Butcher, you, you name it. There was you know Mickey Stewart, Alex Stewart, um, yeah, um, Alan Butcher. Um, it was it was you all. An, it was all. You were an analyst there. I was an analyst, but also worked as a batting coach and a fielding coach at different perspectives and at different times. But also. Um, got on the field as a, as, a, as a fielder for three or four games, which is awesome. Um, but, that, yeah, that was good. So they're, they're all feeding into my experience. And, and I, I was lucky enough that, that, um, that, that people like Butch and, and Thorpe, they, they made sure that I was taking it all in and that I wasn't trying to put my stamp on things 
rather than let people come to me. Uh, and, and that's important as a coach is to let people talk, let, let people make mistakes. Even if you know what they're saying is wrong, sometimes you need, that, you need to let that play out. And that's, that's half the problem sometimes is, is, is seeing something that's wrong, wanting to change it rather than just letting it play out. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, then, then I, I came back home to Sydney and I was working with the Sutherland Club, which had Phil Jakes and uh, the likes of Glenn McGrath and a, few, you know, a whole, whole range of people involved that, you know, I, I got a job with, with the New South Wales set up as a youth coach. So for four years, I worked as a 17s and 19s coach. And, I, you know, I was lucky enough to come across a plethora of talent in Stark, Smith, Warner, Zampa, Maddinson, Abbott. Uh, there's so many, uh, Cummins, so many I, I lost touch with. But it was easy for, for people to say, well, you were blessed with a whole lot of talent. Um, so you succeeded as a coach because of the talent you had. But the trick was actually developing that talent. Um, and all those guys that I just mentioned, I'm very close with now. Dave, David and I, prior to the, the uh, 2009 South African One Day slash 20, 20 Series, we'd worked together for nine months as a batting coach player duo. And we developed a strategy around how we could succeed. And it worked. Stephen Smith and I had worked it away and protecting his technique based on what he wanted to do rather than what, what I wanted him to do. Adam Zamper, I worked on developing him as a, as a spin bowler, um, avoiding all the, the pitfalls of others who want to change his action to, to, to have a greater leg spinning or round arm style because it, it wouldn't suit him. Nick Maddinson, who played for Australia, you know, test one day and white ball. You know, he, he was somebody that, that had, a, had a different technique. Sean Abbott has obviously had some challenges you know, with, with his career and, who had helped them. And what I realised, I was the person that would just take everything in, work out a plan based on what people were thinking, what players were thinking, rather than how does this, this result or what, what does my language do to influence what I did? And that, think, that's, that's... So I was just going to ask you, how, to, to what extent, because I, I think there's a, a theme developing here very much about, um, you know, being, I, I call it player-led. You used that phrase earlier, but you... Yeah. Uh, so you're allowing the player to kind of almost shape what the development is for them. You're almost acting as a facilitator and as a listener, as opposed to you know, directing them because you believe that your philosophy, your model, your way of working is the right way. To what extent do you think that you know, many coaches at all different levels make the mistake of going the other way and because because the way they've been educated because they you know they believe that their way is the right way that they you know they make the mistake of you know almost kind of a square peg round hole 100 percent, yeah and, and that's that's my challenge for, for players is actually yeah helping players realize that you're not a square peg um you know and that this isn't a round hole so players feel guilt from coaches and that as a coach, I can, you know, to, to, for, you, for no better language, I can fuck you up more than I can help you. I could probably help you five, maximum 10%, but I can fuck you up 100%. And it's realising how you can do that. So, you know, so young coaches, I don't mean by age, but experience, young coaches, new coaches, especially ex-first class players, they want to delve into all their history. They want to unload all their past and 
I'll tell you how I didn't, you know, how I did this and why I should have done this and this is what you need to succeed. But the, the best thing you can do for a young elite player is let them speak, let them talk, watch them, watch their, watch their movements and, and then try and figure out where their DNA lies. You know, uh, what, what, what are their, what, what's the base of their, of their core, how, how they interact with, with their, their own movements and thinking, what do they do under pressure before you actually tell them, this is what I did, or this is what you should do. Because most of the time you get it wrong. And when you get it wrong, that's it. It's hard to get back. And you may lose a really good player because you've decided this is how you, I should coach them. Um, and, and, that's, and, I, and I was lucky because I, I felt like as a player myself, I was coached really badly. And there'd be people watching this going, well, you weren't good enough. Well, may, maybe, maybe not. But I felt like I was, I was trying to achieve something under pressure I could never... I could never live up to. So it's, it's asking your players, whether it's with ball, bat or field, what do they look like under pressure? What are their natural movements? How can you replicate those movements consistently when, when there's somebody asking them a question or asking them to compete? Um, and and that's, that's the trick. That's the skill is that takes time. That's not, that's not a one-off session and there's no elixir. There's no, there's no holy grail around that. Uh, hard work is still hard work, but Hard work can be shortened around terms of reaching that high-end achievement is by working out what a player needs to succeed. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, there's so many variants of that, that that sometimes as a coach, you don't have the answer. And, yeah. and you have to press pause and say, mate, you know what? I don't, I don't know here. I'm not sure what you do, what you're doing is right. But instead of telling you what you're doing is wrong, I'm going to figure it out through asking questions, through looking at footage, looking at different people and saying, okay, Let's figure this out together. So that the player, once they reach that Zen moment and come back to someone like Warner or Smith, is, is my biggest achievement with them is make myself redundant. And, mm. and anytime I can, I, anytime David or Stephen can walk out the bat and not think about me at all is a mm. win. Yeah. Rather than, well, shit, what did Trent say? Was it high elbow? Was it short backswing? Was it, because under pressure, that, that won't hold up. Yeah. We we had a this this is a very this is not uh, apples of apples at all but um, so Dom uh, Shaquille and Nepal who are on the the call with us um, are all um, coaches in club world and are all passionate about um, coaching the younger generation um, at yeah. that at, you know in that environment um, so they'll be able to relate to this but we had a um, and this is an under fifteen story um, you know what I alluded to earlier with you offline but. Um, first innings we batted first last Sunday and uh, our, our uh, team who are a bunch of guys who, who are quite um, innocent and quite unstreetwise as, um, as, you know, as teenagers had been given so much verbal abuse um, and by that I mean you know, personal um, pretty horrendous swearing uh, by you know, cocky um, thoughtless uh, opposition um, and, and it really affected them. Yeah, we only got 80 odd, but at um, in between innings, where it's the only time you get a chance as a coach to speak to them, I just I just saw the, the, the whites of their eyes. I could tell there was fire in their belly that they wanted to um, not not uh, behave like for like, but to to really behave differently um, to kind of show the opposition that uh, they wanted to you know they weren't going to just lie down and um, be browbeaten. So I, I, didn't, I didn't really say much. I just said, look, I can see that um, this is 
something that you really, it matters to you. So um, as long as you don't, you're not abusive, as long as you're not personal, as long as you don't disrespect uh, the game, you, you go for it, but make sure that um, you channel it in a way that allows your performance to still be at its peak and uh, the best, best way possible. Now, the fact that I got, uh, you know, my life was threatened by a stupid parent was by, was by the by because uh, the performance of the kids was just unbelievable. You know, so whilst their, 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 their banter and their chirping in many cases was, was hilariously pathetic, um, their performance in terms of um, channeling that energy was quite remarkable. Um, if I could have um, videoed it and bottled that, um, I'm sure that for lots of people up and down the country, it would have been a, a fantastic case study of, of taking something that was negative, which was player-led and player-influenced, um, and you know, they transformed it into you know, performance which they'll always remember. Uh, and that's that emotion. When, when you add pressure or emotion, and sledging is, is part of that, is, is how you deal with that. So it's identifying with young cricketers, what, what does it look like when you add all that shit, which is what it is. It, it, yeah. And, and a lot of pressure is, is put on players by themselves, whether it's scoreboard, dressing room, match situation, sledging, umpiring. So it, it's trying to take all that and make it, make it not relevant to how a player prepares. Um, mm. So that when you add all that, it has no impact on on the players. Um, and and someone like Warner, that you know, that's that's been that's been the case. That, so that I'm, you know, I'm always trying to get him to prepare aggressively, not to deal with sledging, but to deal with how his body reacts to to different changes. So it's how did he uh, how did he react um, off off record, if you like? How did he react? Well, no, that's fine. But David, David, different. At different times, I mean, you know, someone like David during that Ashes series, I was working for the ECB, so we had no contact other than a supportive one around that. But yeah, and it's important to let players fail. I think I think sometimes we we feel like they should be numero uno, you know, and 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 not miss out. But yeah, you know, sometimes players players and what failure looks like as well, and what and what they they do is failure. Sometimes they, they, they put themselves on a pedestal or others put them on a pedestal that we forget that baseball and cricket are horrible in terms of success rates and, and what they do. So, you know, young, young players especially, that it, you know, cricket is so good because it mirrors life. Most days, you know, you pick a child up from school between, you know, the ages of six and, and 17, you ask them how their day was, they're like, eh, yeah. But you know when they've had a shit day and you know that when they've had a good day. And, you yeah. know, a good day is maybe every six or seven weeks and a bad day is maybe every and maybe eight or nine weeks. So it's, it's working out when you have those bad days, you know, what does it look like? But when you have those days where they're not really answering, you, you want them improving a little bit. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and there's so many avenues or areas that take them away from that because, yeah. we, we, you know, there's, there's so much more social pressure on performance now. And, yeah. and you know, so someone like a David or a Stephen, it's, it's, to me, it's diluting all the shit and chat around it. It's around, are you doing those things you need to do to, to give yourself the best opportunity to succeed under pressure consistently? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, one, one more observation from me and then I'll uh, throw it open to the, the other guys, if that's okay. But 
Um, I've had a little bit of experience um, both in coaching and parenting, uh, watching um, count junior county cricket up to and including under 13s. Um, and there's there's an absolute um, I can't I can't say this is representative of all counties, but in in the, the experience that I've had, there's a there's a huge pressure placed on coaches to deliver um, winning results, uh, even even to the extent of having a a success um, ratio as a KPI um, yeah. over the course of a season, which means that the pressure on the kids is such that if they don't win against whatever opposition uh, that on that particular game, the next game the pressure's doubled. Um, and if you're a batsman um, in the top five or six that doesn't get um, a score, or you're a bowler um, who opens or, uh, or is first change and doesn't take wickets, you automatically feel as though you're not worthy. Uh, and for me, that's completely and utterly wrong. You know, it's it's the wrong way to coach. It's the wrong way to manage. Um, and it's the wrong way to actually uh, develop um, young talent. Uh, and yet that's that's in, you know, a very sort of well-respected um uh, county system that has produced, um, you know, first-class cricketers and international cricketers for England uh, for for decades, and yet it seems as if yeah. they've got it around. Um, so I think there's still an awful long way to go for the, you know, the system um, still to uh, kind of embrace those things you're talking about, um, and hopefully, you know, the more people like you uh, that have an influence, the better. You've gone off uh, offline again in your in your closet, by the way, Trent. Guys, whilst uh, Trent's trying to get back online, can you um, let's throw it over to you now in terms of questions? So, um, I don't know who's got the first question: Dom, Sha Shaquille, or um, or Nepal. Just switch your audios back on, and let's see if we can get Trent back online. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go when he's ready, Tom. Okay, cool. Oh, and by the way, Dom, um, Shaquille is a, a broad oak. Um, that's brought out coach as well. So he'll probably have some questions, which is quite remarkable considering that's where uh, Trent was. <laughs> I'm from Huddersfield, Shaquille. I, uh, well, Brodock, I did, uh, I, I coached under 78, <clears throat> sorry, and then this season for, uh, for a few sessions because of the coronavirus. So we could get more uh, participation, participators, more of the boys there practicing. I'm not, not their official coach, but I coach a few of their boys too, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis. The same with Golka. I coach a few of their boys. I was just, I was just saying to Trent, my um, cousin played at Golka. You know Glenn Collier? No, I, I, I know Mark Turner. Right. You know? well, Glenn, Glenn's good mates with Cobber at Golka. The, the, I think he's still first-team captain, Steve. But... um. Yeah, I, I, I've not been in Huddersfield for 20 years now. Well, I left home 20 years ago. So um, right. I kind of, I keep loosely in touch with who's winning and who's doing what. But um, I played at Holbauer and Almondbury Wesleyans. Right, right, yeah. yeah. No, that was yeah. my neck of the woods. I wonder if we've lost Trent because he might have only a, an entry-level Zoom package. That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've just yeah. sent him to him waiting for him. You're fine, yeah. You should be able to just re-connection. Uh, re yeah. And did I hear correctly that Trent played play at Elland as well? No. Don't think so. Who's no, against so. them? They were, they were uh, teams back then. 
Right, and that's just um, Ellen's uh, ground is just about a mile and a half uh, from uh, from my house. All right. Well, one of my very early under thirteens experiences was playing on a cold Sunday morning at Elland. Right, so it's, it's all it's called in Halifax. And um, I'm playing there when they didn't have any respect for being under thirteens and put us in the middle of the square. <laughs> And um, for Tom Nurpal, Ellen's a big, big ground. It is. It's, it's, I think it's the biggest in the Huddersfield League, isn't it? Or generally there or thereabouts. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest ground uh, in Halifax, definitely. Yeah. And, and, and if the wicket's in the middle, then... I think I was probably 10 at the time and... That we didn't have under nines, under sevens in those days. You started in the thirteens and um, bang in the middle, wondering how the hell am I gonna get hit a boundary? <laughs> Were there many fours that you ran? Not me, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, and then obviously you were on a twenty-two yard strip as well back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back then this yeah, yeah. was different, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know where he's got to. I don't know whether you realise, but he's at, he's at Trent's at a, a friend's house, um, and uh, he's he just he showed me. Um, it's literally a, like a laundry cupboard off the off off the end of a of the kitchen. So that's where he was. I don't know whether he's just lost internet connection or mm. or what. But I haven't, I haven't managed to get hold of him again at the minute. Um, so maybe he has just lost in, the internet. But he's a he's a very open guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, comes across excellently. I think he said he said to me just before you guys joined. He's, I think he's got to make a call as to whether he's coming over with uh, the Australians for the one day team because he kind of he wears different hats depending upon different parts of the different times of the year. So he's involved with the hundred. Um, I think he's also a talent um, manager for the ECB in some capacity. But then he also has a foot in the Australian camp as well, which must be a very interesting um, dynamic. And, and he's connected to uh, Big Bash and IPL. So when you, because he doesn't, you don't hear him talk. I mean, yes, he's mentioned lots of names today, but you don't, you don't sort of see him um, promote himself or kind of market, uh, you know, I'm Trent Woodhill and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's the list of people I, I work with. Um, we're quite, I, th I think um, he comes across to me as very sort of, almost, you know, quite humble and, and modest. You know, he's, it's the success that um, players have had under his watch. He, he, he credits to the players, not to him, um, which, you know, I think is uh, quite an admirable quality. Anyway, I don't know where he's got to. I'll just see if I, I'll send him the, um, the, the Zoom login again and see if that gets him. Oh, here we go. It's just sent me a message.
ya. Have you, Shaquille, have you got have you got a busy weekend then? Are you coaching this weekend? No, I'm not. I'm not coaching this weekend. No, no, pal. No, I've, uh, you I've done. Pre I've done pretty much all week. I was with the uh, Yorkshire under fifteen squad. Yeah. One day last week, and uh, then I'm then I was with the Yorkshire under ten squad, and that's this season. They've only got four games, so that's what I'll be doing. I'll be staying yeah. with the under ten squad. Trent's coming back now. Hey, Mike. Right, so we're, we're back on uh, online, although we can't see you. So obviously that 3% non-alcoholic beers had a, an adverse right, effect. Here we go. I run out of battery. Yeah, <laughs> run out of battery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That old one. Sorry, guys. That in a laundry closet, eating pizza and drinking 3% beer and your battery ran out. Well, it's, it's, not all, it's, all still, it's all still there, sadly. I don't know what happened. Just, just the... the uh, gone. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's okay. We've, um, it's great to have you back. And uh, I think Dom's got a, a question or so to, for you to begin with. And then uh, Shaquille and Nepal um, as well probably got a question. Cool. Um, right, so I, I, I'm coaching um, under 11s and under 9s this year. And um, I started coaching back probably similar time to when you were in, in Huddersfield. Um, we put Holbauer and Norman Berry Wesleyans looking after... After their, their kids and then a, a lot of years without coaching whilst I was still playing a bit and then with, with my, my two boys started coaching them a real entry level question for you here is our under 11s this year have moved up <coughs> we haven't got any established 11 year olds so they're all the, the lads that have moved up from last year's under 9 so first year of hardball cricket and as I say very entry level in that the batting is just shocking. You know, it, it, it's struggling to get not just the ball off the square, a bat on ball. Um, and the last two games now, it's just been, you know, where me and the other chap who, who coaches that team, you, you're left kind of scratching your head going, oh my God. When you've seen another team of similar ages, smash it. So we had a net session last night. We had 10 of the boys there, and it was good because we had two nets. So I was doing one-on-ones whilst the, the, the bowlers and batters were in a pair and kind of operating in the other net. So I, I was just going through some absolute basics of you know, swinging the ball straight, doing drops, doing six feeds at a time really quickly, and then just varying it a bit. But what, what would be your starting place for saying, right, you're, you're very raw, you just come into hardball cricket, and especially with what you're mentioning, like with Steve Smith, who kind of technique, you're not coaching or meddling with a technique that's very, yeah. very unique, but trying to get the basics into kids. So bringing, holding a bat right, getting it up and weighted, bringing it down straight-ish, as opposed to the only shot being the, the, the sweep to leg, which is the natural kind of swing, if you like. So where, yeah. where do you start so, with that? So interesting, so to cut you off. So holding the bat natural, what does that look like? So what, what you think is natural and what's natural might maybe two different things. Yeah. But that flow is important. 
Um, but I, I'm encouraging them to hit the way you just said you don't want them to. I think, I think for young players, what's the most important thing to do and teach is optimal contact. And it might not be contact that we're used to we, or even we'd like, but it's something that, hey, this feels good. So when a young player hits it out of the screws between square leg and mid-on, actually embrace that. Yeah. Because we, we, you know, we're, we're, we're naturally governed towards commentators who have skin in the game talking about what looks good. So we start to think what looks good rather than what actually is effective. Um, so so my, my biggest thing with, the, with players now from all ages is let's revert back to how you hit the ball when you don't think about how you need to hit the ball. Uh, and that, that comes from people like Shane Watson, Kane Williamson, um, you know, guys like that who I've, who I've worked with at young stages of their career to older stages of their career, that, that, is, that there's no template for what looks good as a cricketer. It's only been the advent of commentary, Sky Sports and Channel 9. Channel 9, more than anyone else, has had a derogatory effect on what technique should look like in cricket. Yeah. Because there's always somebody going, wow, that's a great shot. How good does that look? Well, no, it's, it's, it's really mutton dressed up as lamb because it can't repeat. But the, the new techniques, and, and India is the, it, and Pakistan especially, are the, are the hub for the, the birth of techniques that haven't been um, you know, challenged by coaches because there's so many players, there's so little um, high, highly skilled coaches. And come back to my point to Tom was, I, I, you know, I can mess you up more than I can help you. Yeah. So those nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, let them hit through square leg. If every ball goes through square leg, as long as the percentage is high, then it's actually a good thing. And, and some of them and, and will have a technique that's more rounded and I'll choke the bat. That's okay as well. Don't change their, don't change their grip. You know, there was a generation of tennis coaches that tried to change grips of players and then they, they struggled to compete with the, with the Eastern European especially players or, you know, um, who came along who just had a grip that was, was so different to what the Western, you know, it was called the Western grip had. So, mm. yeah, however, however batsman holds a bat, whether it's male or female, young or old, they'll have a natural, natural way of holding on, uh, holding on to that, that bat. So it's important, it's important that you develop the player to feel confident around when they strike the ball, can they repeat that? If they can't repeat that, then maybe they need some adjustment. Some need to be opened up. Some need to be more closed off. But there's, there's a generation of coaches that will, will argue to their blue in the face that there's a correct way to hold a bat. And, and I've got, I've got a, a massive amount of, uh, of successful testing international cricketers that would argue against them. Yeah. In terms of that, that, that's all brilliant. Yeah, I totally get that. And coaching the all stars, it, it, it was very much just get them hitting it wherever. Um, yeah. Kind of honing back to the, the under 11s again, quite a few of them haven't even got that natural 